So let's turn into our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, we were just talking about Bible school. Um, this week, I've been just about every morning waking up with this thought that um, maybe the, how can I describe it, the um, just sensing the heart of God about the condition of the American church, the world church today, something that I've talked to some of you about and you've talked to me about as well, that we live in an age, and if you're new here, um, um, don't think I'm a mean guy because I don't preach like this, but it's going to be kind of out of my character a little bit. But I'd really like to challenge us, number one. I'd like to challenge the, the way that we are living as the American church, as the Western church, as the worldwide church that is um, in, very, in very bad shape. We are in very bad shape. If you look at with me, before we go to Ephesians chapter 6, let's go to, um, uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 3. And I want to just skip around. Um, I want to read some scripture together. Revelation chapter 3, and we see that the Holy Spirit, God is speaking through the Apostle John to the churches, the seven churches that were established and this is uh, several decades after the, cru- the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And there's a special message that the Holy Spirit has for every church. And these are seven churches um, that are existing at the time that John the Apostle was in Patmos on the island imprisoned. And he's writing to the angels of every church. Now, I want to just take a quick minute on that. We are going to talk about angels today. I want to talk a little bit about demons. I want to talk about spiritual warfare. And then I want to just really focus on our victory in Christ over all of that. And so in Revelation chapter 3, um, we can read this. It says here, and he's, and each church, um, each church here can be interpreted in, in, in different ways. One way to interpret it in Revelation chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 2 is to describe that each church can actually represent a period of time during the church age. Um, historically, we won't get in that today, but the Church of Philadelphia um, can really point to, and also also points to actual churches, but it also can uh, also focus on the characteristics of those churches and what they were dealing with spiritual trends during that period of time during church history. The Philadelphia church in Revelation chapter 3 was a church that really represented a church that was weak in some ways, not weak towards sin, but they were weak in the, in the flesh. Uh, they were a church, they were a missionary church that, was, that really represented a period of time in church history that really has kind of wrapped up somewhat already, but was really a period of time where we saw during the church age many missionaries going out into the world the Moravian movement, uh, the just multitudes of churches that were winning, that were going and sending missionaries to Africa, to China, to this, to, to Asia, to the Middle East. Uh, just some incredible stories. And if you would like to read a story, if you'd like to read, um, and I would highly suggest this um, from Irian, from Jerusalem to Arian Jaira. I don't know, remember the author, but it's a book that just it's kind of like Fox's Book of Martyrs, but it kind of picks up after Fox's Book of Martyrs. And then it goes up to uh, missions in Iran, Jaira, Indonesia. And, um, and then there's another book called uh, Jesus Freaks, I think. Kind of a strange name, but it's actually very well written about 
following from that time up to the present age of just missionary stories. The church today is undereducated about missions and about the, the command of Jesus Christ. And that's what I feel that we, Ever Grace and Greater Grace, this is what we are given to do in our small niche in the kingdom of God is to really talk about missions, training, and just really uh, focus on the Pauline pattern of missions in the book of Acts. And so the Church of Philadelphia was a missionary church. Then we see a church of Laodicea. Now, the church of Laodicea, how many have ever heard of messages about church of Laodicea? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay, church of Laodicea was a church that was that represented the church that is, in my conviction is, is that it's pre-rapture and post-rapture church. It's a church that existed after the rapture, that exists after the rapture as well. And the nature of the church, and let's read the, the way the church is in Revelation chapter 3 and uh, verse 14. Now, when we read this, to the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, who is the angel of the church of Laodicea? There's two, there's two perspectives on that, and both can be true. Number one, the angel here is small a, which means, which can be translated in the Greek as messenger. This can relate to actual an actual angel that God has delegated to, uh, to be very active during that church, that the age of that church, where God is using that angel in spiritual warfare. Uh, and number two, it could actually be referring to a pastor or a man of God that is pastoring that during that time of the church of Laodicea. And so the message is this, and I want to talk about that later, but the message is this. He says, write the, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. We are living right now in the Laodicean age of the church. You are not either hot and you are not cold. You're not on fire and you're not cold um, uh, you are neither cold nor hot so because in verse 16 you are lukewarm neither hot nor cold I will spit you out of my mouth wow graphic words there right God is this God talking to his church I will spit you out of my mouth okay, these are very graphic words because you're not hot and you're not cold for I say for you say in verse 17 and listen to these words does it not describe the current church uh, uh, as a whole today. I'm not talking about every church, but I'm talking about the marginal status quo, the church as a whole. It says for you say, I am rich. I am rich. I'm rich. I mean, you look at our lives. I don't know if you're, I mean, we, we struggle with finances sometimes, but we are in no way anywhere near what the first century church was struggling with. They didn't have food. Uh, they were living in poverty. And they said, we are you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, nor realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, and poor, blind, and naked. Wow. God's perspective on that Laodicean church. And that is how God sees so much of Christianity today. They are rich. They say, I'm rich. I have no need for anything. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. That's, that's, you know, I'm good. Uh, but God says, you are naked. You are without a covering. It, it, you are... There's shame, uh, you are pitiful, you are poor, and you are wretched, (laughs) blind, and you're naked. Wow. I mean, those are some really hard words for the church of God. 
And yet we see this happening. Don't we see this happening? The blindness of the church today. We see the nakedness of the church today with no covering in their life, no spiritual coverings. You see the, you see the, you see the, pitiful, the pitiful states of the church today. I would say today that we are struggling with the political situations that we are. We are struggling with teenage suicide in the woodlands. We are struggling with crime in downtown Houston. We are struggling with the ethnic situations, the racial conflicts. Why is that happening? Because the church today is not doing its job to preach the gospel, which is a gospel of reconciliation, a reconciliation of the nations. It's a, it's a, it's a gospel message of healing. It's a gospel message of education. I woke up the other morning and I just felt like God said to me, I don't know why, but it's like, like the world is educating your kids because the church is not doing its job. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know. I just feel like God is really speaking to me in these. And I, I haven't heard the messages recently. I mean, I've heard them in Baltimore, but I, I've missed a couple. And someone said, Kim told me that this is what Pastor Schaller is talking about in Baltimore, the understanding convictions and and so I'm, I'm sorry if I'm sounding a little hard this morning, but the, the, the Laodicean church today is the age that we are living in. We are living in a post-missional church age where people are really worried about what's in their Starbucks and if they get their parking spot and if somebody says something bad about them on social media. We are living in a very pitiful state today. And we are, we are living in the world that we're living in today because we as a church and we are, as a church, are not doing what we've been called to do, and that is to preach the gospel. And what, is, what, is, what does God say? What does the Holy Spirit say to this church? He said, I counsel you to buy from me gold tried in the fire. Where do you get that kind of gold? Gold tried in the fire. Gold that's tried in the fire is not something you find on the street. It's something that we get. We, that it's, it's, it's treasure that we get through the word of God in the midst of our fiery trial. If you and I are in a fiery trial today, God is giving you gold and he's putting that in your soul. And that gold is something that you can only get in fire. Are you in fire? Have you had a fiery year? Have you had a fiery year? Have you had a fiery two years? Have you had a fiery life? (laughs) I mean, some people that have no fire in their life, that have had no trials... You know, maybe just this message is boring. It has just no oomph to it. It's not interesting. But if you're in fire, like we've been in fire, it's this is good news because there's gold there. There's treasure there. There's like, whoa, there's something there for me. And if you're, if you're, if you're living in difficult times because you've made some hard decisions, then there's gold for you. And they says, I try, the Holy Spirit says to the church, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. What does that mean? It means that we buy the truth and we don't sell it. We win Christ. And uh, I'm just going to kind of move quickly here because there's a lot I want to say this morning. It says, so that you may be rich. Okay, rich in contrast to the poor Laodicean church. The Laodicean church has a lot of money. I mean, they just have tons of money. I was talking to, a couple years ago, I was talking to a missions director, young guy, out of a mega church in another state not far from Texas, and he said to me, he says, yeah, we have a $25 million budget, missions budget. I was like, really? That's amazing. You guys must have tons of missionaries. He goes, no, we have one family that we're supporting somewhere overseas, and that's a battle to get the money to them. Because to get the money out of the hands of the board is, is like a miracle in itself. I said, let me talk to you about what we're doing in Ukraine, because at that time we were very active in Ukraine. And he goes, you know what? You're probably not going to get a penny. I'll just tell you, because it's just 
getting the money out. It's like, this is the state of the church. And it's like, is this funny? Or I, am I condemning the church? No, I'm not. I'm just telling you that the Laodicean church today is rich, but they're really poor. And why are they poor? Because they get into a situation where they experience some fire, they experience some, they experience some hardness because they're, you know, uh, they, 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 they suffer because they're a Christian or they have convictions. And we cop out because, because we're, we don't have any riches to hold on to. And we're walking around, we're thinking poor, we're thinking minimal mindset, we're thinking, I can't afford this. And I'm not talking about money, but I'm just talking about our Christianity and, and that I don't have any strength. Paul said to Timothy, quit you like men. I like that in the, in the King James. He says, knock it off, just be a man. No, I'm not talking male gender, I'm just talking about be, initi- be an initiator in your Christianity. And the Laodicean church just lays back and just says, you know what? I'm not available because I'm out of town this weekend. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be doing something. Um, I'm not saying we can't do that stuff. I want to get into this in a minute, but I'm just saying that when divine priorities come up, um, the latency in church cops out because it doesn't see the riches in Christ. Okay, and so here's the next thing: it says so that you may be rich in white garments. You know something? I think when when I get to heaven, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I live in America. I live in a nice area, and I get to heaven. You know, as an American pastor, I don't have the, the corner, what do you call it, on spirituality. I, just because I, you know, I live in America and we have big churches doesn't mean I'm a spiritual person. It may actually mean that I'm very poor in a lot of ways if I don't understand what spiritual riches are. I expect this, that when I get to heaven for the Bema Seat of Christ, there's going to be African pastors, there's going to be Nepalese pastors, there's going to be Indian pastors, there's going to be South American pastors who are broke, 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 and have to pray every day for their food. And these men will be ushered up to be like just, you know, Middle Eastern pastors that'll be lavished with just crowns and just amazing that, and we've never heard their names. And I expect that to happen because, you know, and and the people that we think that are gonna be really famous in heaven, the big names in the community, I I don't know, maybe they're gonna be, I, I can't, I can't, I don't judge them, but, you know, I don't know. We, we, I think we're going to be really surprised. Spurgeon said this. I think it was Spurgeon or Billy Graham. He said, when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised who's there, who's not there. And we're going to be amazed that God even let us in. <laughs> we're just going to be amazed. And it's going to be just a state of amazement. And so um, the Laodicean church is poor. It's poor. It's abject. It's pitiful. It has nothing to give to society because it, is, it has become... It has become like Moab. It has, it has become like, and, and God has to send wanderers in to break the church vessels to get the gospel out. And I think we're seeing that. We're seeing that in this nation. I don't know about you guys. I know you're watching the news. I don't watch it really anymore a lot because it's just so annoying to me. But in California, okay, you guys been following about the fires in California? Okay. It just dawned on me that, you know, like, okay, more fires. And I said, wait a minute. So I was reading about it. Do you know that as of this week, there are 4 million acres on fire in the state of California? Mm-hmm. What's 4 million acres? It's 3,100 3, square miles. What's 3,100 square miles? Well, if you drive from Houston, like we did this summer, to the East Coast, that's 1,600 miles. Mm-hmm. 16. Mm-hmm. And if you go north 1,600 miles... You're going to be probably in Quebec somewhere, Quebec, Canada. Mm-hmm. And if you go another 1,600 miles that way, you're going, to be, you're going to be in the northern territories of Canada. It's a huge, massive area that's on fire right now, in flames. 
in, in Oregon, they're preparing for, ma- the, the quote was, mass, a mass casualty event. Okay, 500,000 people have been displaced from their homes. That's a half a million people. Uh, we have become so accustomed to, to, to tragedy, tra- to just disaster, that we become dull to it. And this is, that's the characteristic of the last days. Um, they had a fire tornado, actually, that was recorded. There's just one big twister fire. Yeah, right. and they're preparing for more casualties that they're expecting in California that it's going to go up. Let's pray for California. I mean, Louisiana, Lake Charles, okay? I don't know why it's not in the news, but I know someone that is from that area. And who was I talking to? They were telling me, they said that it's not in the news. They said it's just like as if a, it's level. You go there and nothing is open. It's like just level. It's just, you know, there's no electricity for weeks and weeks and weeks. And uh, people don't have food. And is God dealing with our nation? He is. Is God dealing with the world? He is. And why? Because I think what, what, what we need as a church is to be stirred up, not only for across the world, but also like what's happening uh, in my neighbor's life across the street. And, and that's what we have to, Billy and I were talking this week, our vision as a church is there's a, a, a vision for Jerusalem, which is local, Judea, which is a little bit larger, like the greater Houston area, Judea, Samaria, which is Samaria for Jews was a place that Jewish, as a, Jewish people as an ethnic group did not want to go there. What ethnic groups can you think of today in our American society that we are called to do missions in that's not really exciting to talk about? We don't have to say any names, but there's places not too far from Texas that we don't really, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm called to go there. And then there is, then there is the uttermost parts of the earth, which is, I think for us as a church, you know, like a, a church here in Houston, an oil town, I, I like to think about the Middle East. I know that the African missions are engaged in reaching Muslims for Christ. And I think as a, as a pastor, that's, that burns on my heart every day, just thinking about Muslims hearing the gospel. And, you know, we, in March we have this trip planned to go. We were going to go in October, but um, it's just not the right time to go because of COVID. And plus Turkish Air canceled my flight for no reason, just out of the blue. So, okay, your flight's canceled. It's like, oh, okay. So... So we're going to go in March, but, um, okay, and so I'm really taking a long time to get into this, but, um, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, that the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. I think there's a lot of shame that we're dealing with, just personal shame that we deal with um, as, as Christians, things that have happened in the past, wounds that we've been wounded with. And by the way, if you've been wounded for some, with something, um, very deep. You got to get healed from that because if you don't, any that's a place for the devil to really cause havoc in your life. Every one of us in this in this room, every single one of us hearing this message today has one deep, at least one deep area of shame that really not a lot of people know about. But God wants to heal that. God wants to get in there, and it may take years, but God wants to get in there with the gospel, with the finished work of Jesus Christ, and get and heal you and I. Because that's what iniquity is. Iniquity in the Bible means mental attitude sin. And it's just this mental attitude sin that happens because there's an emotional rebellion in my soul going on. Emotional rebellion is iniquity. It's when my emotions are rebelling against, against God and his righteousness and his 
word in my life. And that emotional rebellion, if we do not get healed, will cause deception in our life down the road. Deception is a big word. It's really real. Deception. People are deceived. Christians can get deceived. We can get deceived. I can get deceived. There's not a day that goes by that I can't, that I cannot, uh, that I cannot um, know for sure that it's very possible that I could be deceived. And if it's, if it's not for the body of Christ and the word of God and people that are accountable, that I'm accountable to in my life as a Christian, deception can come into my life. And so that is one of the things I want to just mention in a minute here is that deception, white garments. What is that? That's just the robes of righteousness. That is the finished work garments that God gives you and I. God gives you furnished work garments, clothing, so that you're not naked and that your shame, you're not living in your shame of just being not covered. How many people today have been to Laodicea Church and they are not clothed with the righteousness and the finished work of Jesus Christ and they're walking around in their shame and they're trying to clothe themselves with being a volunteer in the church? You know, one of the most unhappy groups of people in the church today, I read an article, it's called The Volunteers of American Churches. These are people that are not called, but they're volunteering. There's a difference between being called and being a volunteer. Being called means that I'm called into service. There's a calling on my life. And volunteerism is what I do because I'm needed to do something in the church. And there's a lot of needs in the church. But you're called upon to do something. I was talking to, was it Derek? Derek, were we talking about this? That because I'm single, your, your job in the church is to take care of the little kiddos. And that's, that's where we need you, you know. But it, can, it may not necessarily be, that may not necessarily be the call of God in a single person's life. A single person may be called into missions and to pour their life out somewhere and into some, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be plugged into a place of need. Um, I know I'm saying a lot here, and, and, but just try to hold, try to follow me here. The need never determines the calling in your life. Does that make sense? The need, the need, just because there's a need, it doesn't determine the, the will of God in your life. Need may be need, but it may not necessarily be that you're the person that does it. You want to make sure that you're, you hear the call of God, that it just resonates with your spirit. In Romans chapter 8, the witness that the Holy Spirit is witnessing with your spirit that this is the will of God. Need does not justify the call of God. And Oswald Chambers says that. And that's something that we teach. And so we don't need to live in trying to clothe my nakedness by doing something in the church to feel better about myself. How many times do people want to do something? And how many times have I done this? Want to do something? Uh, Goshi, can we grab him? Yes. Um, how many times have we done something in the church where we're just looking for significance? Okay. The joy of the house church. <laughs> yeah, Gosha. Um, Diapers. All right. For those that are listening to this message, we have a child with diapers. Yeah. Uh, how many times have we done stuff in the church looking for a sense of significance? I have. I've done it. How many times have we been engaged in some type of thing because there's a need and I ne- haven't necessarily heard the call of God? I believe that, you know, I believe that God does that sometimes in our life so that he can just show us what our motives are. And, you know, Christianity is awesome because in the kingdom of God, God is always showing us, here are your motives, and this is how I want, I want to set you free from the bondage of those motives. 
And, and, and we don't, sometimes we don't even know that we're being motivated by shame. Anyway, it's taking me forever to get the, through these verses, and I just need to get going. White garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And solve to anoint your eyes. You know, it's possible that a person becomes a pastor because they're trying to fulfill the, 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 what is expected from them as a pastor's child. You know, I don't know. Sometimes somebody might feel like, oh, I've got to become a pastor to feel. I talked to a guy from Nigeria years ago, and he told me I want to be an American preacher. And he was from Nigeria. He was in Ukraine studying medicine. I go, really? And his name was Prince, uh, Prince Bank Akim was his name. And he's Nigerian, a really handsome guy from Nigeria, you know, like real suave, like, you know. I go, why do you want to do that? He says, because they make great money. <laughs> I was like, and he was in our Bible school. I said, we need to reconsider your motives here. <laughs> and, and so God is always dealing with that because, you know something, our deficit motivation may be because of shame. And, and it's okay. Jump into the work of God. Throw yourself into the hands of the, of the plan of God. Let God get, you know, and God will just work out the details in your soul. Don't live in condemnation if God shows you and I something that's not right in our motives. Just say, okay, Lord, that's not right. I confess it to you. And he, and, he, and he removes that from our life. He takes that from our life. And so don't overthink yourself. The shame of your nakedness may not be soon. And solve to anoint your eyes. Solve. What is this solve? It's this ointment that was put on the eyes to help um, eye, focusing, if there was eye problems, anointed eyes. You know, we talk about anointed people. We talk about anointed situations. We talk about anointed music. We talk about the anointing in the room, the sense of the presence of God. But anointed eyes. You know what anointed eyes is? It means that the Laodicean church has eyes that is okay with looking at debauchery. Okay? <laughs> I mean, it's the Laodicean church. And it's our flesh, too. Our flesh has that. Our flesh has eyes that's okay with just looking at just ridiculous stuff. Here, he, the Holy Spirit says to the Laodicean church that we live in today, and we know that the, the internet today is just rife with just corruption and just unbelievable craziness, and porn is just like sweeping over the nation. And it's just not guys, but it's women too. It's just like a mess. Kids, you know, kids, turn on. And this, we got to be so careful with our kids. I mean, what we have for Caleb is just so selected, and we have to shut off the Wi-Fi on our... because. You know, YouTube's going to download, YouTube for kids is going to download stuff that's just ridiculous. Like, what is that doing on my kid's iPad? But you know, it only takes a kid at the age of a young age looking at something that's inappropriate and they're just hooked on something that they shouldn't be looking at. This is the day and age we're living. We're living in a latency and age where the, the church has gone to sleep. The church has, the church no longer talks about the issues in the word of God, because it's, it's, we want to be, we want to throw out a big net out there. How, how many times have we heard this? We want to throw a big net out there. We just want to scoop everybody up and then, and then, um, and then we'll have some discipleship classes. But Sunday morning are just softball throws, you know, preaching. Uh, are we perfect? I'm not perfect. No, I'm not perfect. And maybe I've done that myself. But the Laodicean church does not have anointed eyes. Eyes that are looking at Jesus Christ. What's an anointed eye? It just means I'm looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith in Hebrews chapter 12. I look at him, and he gives us eyes to see the lost. How am I looking at my neighborhood? Oh, those 
those ridiculous neighbors, they're doing it again. How about if I look at my, uh, my neighbors with the eyes of the gospel and I see their brokenness and I see their pain, I see what's going on behind the closed doors. I see what's happening inside of them. Anointed eyes, where when I, what Job made a covenant with his eyes. Job said this, that as my heart is, so go with my eyes. It's a very interesting verse, and I'll share it with you sometime. But where your heart is is where your eyes are going to go. And, and it's like we can talk about eyes and where they're looking and stuff, but it really is where is the heart because the heart's going to direct your eyes, your heart's going to direct your mouth, and that your heart's going to direct your feet, making sure our heart is guarded with the Word of God. And so I'm just, this is like a 911 message. I feel like I just felt like all week this has just been something I've been meditating on. And I want to get to what I'm talking about here, um, that you would have your eyes anointed so that you may see. That you, and he says, to those I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. He's saying this to, I think that repentance is a part of our life on a daily basis. And it's not, repentance is not like, oh God, forgive me. And it's not trying to beg God forgiveness. That's not repentance. Repentance is when I look at the Christ on the cross, as they did in the, in the book of Numbers, the serpent on the cross, the brazen serpent, Christ in John chapter 3, on the cross, the Son of Man lifted up. When I look at the cross, when I see the cross, guess what happens? There's a turning away from idleness. There's a turning away from vanity. There's a turning away from corruption. There's a turning away from sin. Repentance is something that happens in my life. Oh, okay, God, thank you for pointing the, through the Holy Spirit, pointing that out through the Word of God in my soul, that that attitude of selfishness or that attitude of self-centered, that it's about me, it's about what I'm doing, it's that, that attitude of like what I want and what I don't have. And Lord, thank you. I want to look at Christ. You know something? I was at the chiropractor. <laughs> I was at a chiropractor and I had, you know, they're working on my back because I was hit from behind and I had whiplash from the base of my head down to my tailbone. And first time the guy worked on me, like every bone in my back just adjusted and he's working on my back and I had to saw, you know, here he is working on my back and Jesus had no chiropractor. He had actually stripes. He had actually had rope that had glass and metal in the rope that was tearing the skin off of his back. And I'm getting my back. Like, we don't know. I mean, I, okay, go to the chiropractor. <laughs> Get help if you need to. But I'm just saying that that was not part of Jesus' timeline. Jesus was living at a time where he laid down his life and he was not talking about what he wasn't getting in his marriage. He wasn't talking about what he wasn't getting in his church. He wasn't talking about what he wasn't getting as a single person. He was, he was there to lay down his life. He had anointed eyes. And this is the day and age that we're living in, guys. We're living in an age where, where Laodicea is going to be part of the global antichrist system, where it's going to ride on the back of the, of the beast system. Of the, and and it's, a, it's a sad story. When we look, you know, if you read the story, how many have read the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? How many know about who this guy is? Okay, he was a preacher during the time of Nazi Germany. And he was one of the only preachers that stood up and, 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 and spoke out against, uh, well, first of all, he was told with churches, same with Richard Wurmbrandt, the same when communism was coming in. He was told as a pastor, this is what you need to preach and do not speak against this and do not speak against that. And he stood up and he said, I will preach. It's better to obey God than to obey men in Acts chapter 5, I believe. And for that, he lost his life as a preacher. Are those days coming to the United States? Could be. My wife and I lived in a communist country where people lost their lives 
They were deported to the other side of the Soviet Union because they were Christians. I know pastors in Kiev, older pastors, elderly men who were Baptists. And they said, I rem-, they said, we remember gathering with our people every Sunday in a different location in the woods and having communion and having, having, um, having church and, and, and at, the, at the expense of our lives. My, my, my wife and I, and some of you have met her in, in Baltimore. She's, she's um, Iranian. And her, 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 her pastor back in Tehran was, was kidnapped and was tortured. I can't go into details. He was dismembered and he was put in a freezer. And that was her pastor because of the faith that he would. So like, friends, I don't know. I, is that coming to America? I don't know. But I'm just saying that Laodicea is going to be, it's going to, it's, it's in our worship music. It's in our ministry. It's in the way we do stuff. It's like, it's like, do not disturb me. I just get me my coffee, get my, me my Starbucks. And there's, you know, I'm not talking about Starbucks here. But we live in self-preferences and we live in, you know, we live in this stuff. And I, I know I'm going really long, but let me just, let's just look at 2 Timothy for a second, chapter 3. And then we're going to jump into, um, you guys get to listen to me rant here about, um, about this stuff. 2 Timothy chapter, t- chapter 3. And this describes the days that we're living in, the godliness in the last days. I'm just going to read these verses to you in the, in the ESV and tell me if this is not what we're living today. But understand this in verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Okay, I like the way the King James translates this. There will be perilous times. Treacherous. I mean, like, we are on a ship. We're going to go down any second because of the weather. By the way, have you guys heard that this, there's this online movie streaming. Um, they're putting out this thing called Cuties. And it's this, it's about, it's, it's about like, it's about, it's about something bad that's happening, but it's really celebrating it actually. It's about uh, young children, young children, girls that are being, um, that are being utilized for uh, entertainment, sexual entertainment and, and the whole world. Of, and we know here in Houston, it's a big, uh, the whole human trafficking scene is, is unbelievable here, but it's streaming. And they said that, they, and, and even like, even people that we would not consider godly people in certain, in certain parties of political parties, they're, they're coming out against it. They're saying this is, this is, this is um, feeding the pedophilia that's in America. And that's on, that is in, that is, that is right now in our world. And guess what? You know, like, you know, some of these streaming services like stream stuff where you just is just so ungodly and so demonic and just so sensual. And yet the Laodicean church, it's we, we don't we don't like we talk about it next Sunday. Hey, did you see, you know, that in that series? What just happened? And it's like shame on us for seeing that and for talking about that and letting that unholy communication come out of our mouths and be something that is just not of the kingdom of God. It says here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, understand this, and in the last days there will be times, come times of difficulty. Listen to this, for people will be lovers of self. Number one, lovers of self. <laughs> lovers of self, comfort me, comfort. You know, like lovers of comfort, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure 
rather than the lovers of God. And I read that, I studied that, I exegeted that a little bit. Lovers of pleasure, it's not bad to enjoy fun things, but not more than God. It means that we love that pleasure, that experience, more than we love God. Meaning that if God was to remove that out of my life, would I still love God or would I complain? If God's removing something out of my life that I really enjoy, am I going to complain about the absence of it or am I going to just fall more in love with God? Let's go over. He said, what is he saying here in verse, what is he saying here? It says, having the appearance of godliness. Look at this with me, okay? Just follow me here. Uh, just, just think, we've got some great food coming. Hang in there, focus. Swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness. Okay, good show of the flesh, right? Can I be a Christian with a lot of knowledge and have a good show of the flesh, but not be a spiritual person? Yes, it's very possible. It's very possible that I'm a gifted Christian, that I live in my gifts, but I, have not a, I don't have an ounce of spirituality. I don't have an ounce of spirituality because I'm leaning on my gifts. It's possible to live in my gifts and not walk in faith and obedience, um, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Now think with, me, think with me on that for a second. What is denying the power of godliness? What it is... Denying, denying the power of godliness is this. It means that I have a Christianity with no cross. I have a Christianity with no death. I have no death in my life, meaning that I'm not, I'm not denying myself. I'm not saying no to myself, but I'm just living with unbridled, unbridled experiences as a Christian and living in things that are just that. And there's no, and, but you know something? I may have a lot of knowledge, but don't think that knowledge is power because Knowledge is knowledge, and knowledge may not necessarily transform people, but it's possible for me as a Christian to live in a lot of what I know, but have no power in my life. And where do we see that in the Bible? Well, Acts 19, right? Sons of Sceva, seven sons of Sceva say, hey, you know, let's cast out demons, but they had no idea who Jesus was. Maybe they were believers, but they had no idea of understanding who Jesus Christ was. There was no power in their life. And as they tried to cast out these demons, the whole thing backfired on them, and they actually became the ones that were the victims. That's so what I'm saying is this, is that um, I wanted to talk about some other things about spiritual warfare, about principalities, powers, um, powers of darkness and high places. I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, I'm, not getting it, I'm not getting to it today, but I'm just talking about the state of the church, the Laodicea. And what does Laodicea need? What is the Laodicean church today? What does it need? Well... The work of God has always been based. God never works. Well, let's just say like this. God very often will use Gideon's 300. And how many did Gideon have before God had to whittle it down? 10,000, right? 10,000. What would we be able to do with 10,000 with with 10, people at our disposal? God said, it's too many. I don't need 10,000. I don't need these other guys because some of them were dealing with with, uh, with distracted uh, desires. They, some of them were dealing with fear. Some of them were dealing with other stuff in their life. And God just needed those 300 that were, that were really focused on who, who God was and what God wanted to do and that were not afraid to lose their lives. We, I like to think, I, I like to think that we are, um, by the grace of God, called to be Gideon's 300. We're not the only ones there's awesome churches out there that are doing incredible things, but it's never going to be a lot of people. And, and, and sometimes we're going to be looking at ourselves and be like, wow, you know, um, 
you know, like, God, is this, is this it? And God's like, this is it. This is all I, I need only 12 men to change the world. 12 men that understand. 12 men that are broken. 12 men that are not, that are not, that are not like super talented. And by the way, the CEO, the head guy, Peter, is going to be a broken fisherman that has an issue with, with impulsiveness and with uh, jumping out and doing things without thinking. And that's the guy that I'm calling, you know, to preach on Acts chapter 2. So let's do this. I want to close with this practical application. Um, Titus chapter 2. So chap- t- Titus chapter 2. And let me, let's just read this. This would be the best way to do it. It's just to read it. Go to Titus. And I'm a grace preacher. I believe teaching grace. I believe teaching the grace of God. Um, and I think that there was a grace revival in America in the, in the, in the 80s, in the 90s, where the, the grace of God, the message was rediscovered. But I think, too, like with everything else, the devil wants to, wants to spin it and he wants to twist it and he wants to make it something that it's not. But if we look at um, Titus chapter 2, in verse 11, let's look at this. Um, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Training us, in verse 12, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And next time I preach, I think it's going to be week after Pastor Belly. The present age that we live in is Laodicea. And it's just rife with, with just... Uh, with, with worldliness and carnality. And I don't know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but I'm just sharing with you what, what, what my, what my um, just spiritual agitation has been. And even in my own life, Lord, just I, like just little stuff, like God, that's just, that's off. And I don't want that. And I just confess that to you. And when we do that, we just live in the power of God, taking the cross and what does it mean to be Gideon's 300? It means, that, it means that when we're drinking the water, we're looking at the horizon. When we are there, it's like we are not living in fear. We're not worried about numbers. And the, God, will deliver, God will deliver victory to us in ways that we would have never imagined. And so let's live with short accounts with God. Let's be quick to repent. Let's be, let's be quick to let the Holy Spirit convict us. Not condemning. I'm not talking about condemnation because God doesn't transform us through condemnation. Condemnation does not do anything in a person's life. Killing, beating yourself up, condemning yourself does not do anything. Okay, um, it just it just reinforces the flesh. But being convicted and being loved by the Holy Spirit out of circumstances and into um, into godliness and, and into a powerful living. So, um, with that, I just want to close and just um, close in prayer. Father, we thank you, God, that the grace of God has appeared to us and it trains us, it disciples us, it teaches us to deny ungodliness. And ungodliness means anything that's not God in my life. I was reading last night, someone said, are the things that I'm living for worth what Jesus died for? Lord, I just want to live, we want to live as a church, as a people of God, we want to live for those things that Jesus lived for, and live for those things that Jesus died for. We want to live in eternal purpose, Lord. We don't want to live in condemnation. None of us in this room are perfect. Every one of us in this room have things that we could just be beating ourselves up with, but God doesn't deal deal with us that way. 
Lord, we just want to confess anything to you that just maybe, like it says in Ephesians four twenty seven, a place that we may have given to the devil or to the atmosphere. Lord, we just confess that to you, Lord. We don't want anything between us and you. Lord, we want to just be a pure body. We want to be pure people walking in the finished work clothing that you've given us and not in the nakedness of being uncovered. Well, we just thank you, God. Lord, use us as a church. Use other churches in the area, too, to reach out into this Laodicean age and living for Christ, making decisions for Christ, because living for the things that we can lose is not worth it. Lord, that we would live for the things that, that we would lose the things so that we could gain the thing that we could never lose, as John Elliott said, John Elliott. We love you and we thank you. God bless this food that we're about ready to take, partake of. Amen and amen.